Usually five weeks is a limit for a series here at New Spring. Part of that is just I feel like that's the sweet spot for a series, and part of it is my ADD. But I will tell you this. This particular series has been the longest of the year and will be the longest we'll have for a while. We're in the seventh of eight weeks. And there's a reason why the series needed to be so long. And to be honest with you, I could have wished it were 20 weeks long. It is because in the Bible, there was one generation of people who got it right. Let me scratch that. There were two generations back to back who got it right. You know, when we read about, we think about the Bible, we think about it in closed terms, we can almost believe that the people in the Bible were different from us that they wore halos, that they're stained glass characters, and that they just sort of floated on on spiritual clouds. But when you really begin to unpack the Bible, what you discover is that God's people hardly ever get it right for a whole generation. They may start out well and then screw up at the end, or they may do crazy things at the beginning, suffer for it, and then get right toward the end of their lives. So it's almost unheard of that a whole generation serves God. But for one shining moment, there were actually two generations side by side that did it. And because of that, I wanted us to explore that. We live in a country, and I'm not trying to be negative, but I don't think I have to tell you, we're living in a country that's slipping down the tubes real fast. And if there ever was a time for a generation to rise up and live out its destiny, we are that generation. But since this particular story involves two generations and the passing of the torch from one generation to the next, and what's even more exciting than that, these two generations being on the stage at the same time, I thought this would be a great time for us to talk about generations at New Spring. I'm in my 31st year as pastor of this church, and I've always dreamed that we could be a multi-generational church, and I've lived long enough to see that dream come to pass. So today, let's just talk for a few moments about generations. For one thing, uh, sociologists would tell us that there are four generations represented here today. Um, if you are my parents' generation, um, and unfortunately there are not enough of you, if, if you're part of my parents' generation, well, then you've experienced some things the rest of us haven't experienced. I'm not a sociologist, and I struggle sometimes to, to understand generations and how they're given particular characteristics. But those who do study generations would probably tell us this, that generations are characterized first by the world they inherit and what they do with it. If you're part of my parents' generation, you inherited a world with a Great Depression and a World War. But what you did with it was extraordinary. You faced those two challenges, and you set a legacy, gave a legacy for all the rest of us. That is why we call you the Great Generation. And if you're part of that generation, the rest of us here today owe you a debt. And could I just say this? And I'm a pastor. Yeah, thank you. Let's... And I've conducted many funerals, probably a thousand funerals, and I will just tell you this, it's just my personal feeling that every time we lose a member of the great generation, it's like another light flickers out. They're an extraordinary generation. Remember, generations are a product of the world they inherit and what they do with it. Well, for all of us who were born between the years 1946 and 1964, we are part of the generation that is called the baby boom. And for all of you who came before and came after and find us so insufferable, it's just because there's so stinking many of us. We are what sociologists call the pig and the python because as we move through life, it's like there's this bulge in the demographic of the United States. See, the reason there's so many of us is when our dads came home from World War II, they decided to have families, and not just families, but big families. And as I said, there are a lot of us. I was born in 1956, which puts me in one of the two median years of the baby boom. Now, the thing about the world that we inherited, we inherited a world with a great deal more privilege and affluence than our parents experienced. We inherited a world where our parents said something that went like this. I didn't have it when I was a kid, but my kids are going to have it. And so if you're a baby boomer, you just grew up in that world in which you were given a whole lot of privilege. 
But we also grew up in a world where there was a lot of fear because if you're like me and you're in elementary school, you had duck and cover drills because we had to deal with the possibility of a nuclear holocaust. So we inherited a checkered world, and I'll tell you what, we faced it with a checkered uh, approach. One thing about baby boomers, if it's out there, we've tried it. And I don't know what kind of legacy we're going to leave. And, and the thing about it is, for those of us who are in the baby boom, we still have a little time left. So maybe we've got some time to write our story. And it could just be that we're going to want to improve our story. Generation after the baby boom is sometimes called, in vernacular, the baby bust or the busters, Generation X. Well, if, if, uh, if, if, gener if the great generation decided they wanted to have a lot of kids, baby boomers discovered birth control, and they just decided we're going to have fewer families, fewer kids, and, and smaller families. And so there are fewer people in the baby bus generation, Gen X. And I will just tell you this. I, my hat is off to all of you who are Gen Xers because the truth of the matter is survival itself would be uh, a success because you are right nestled in between two huge generations. You have the baby boom before you and you have the millennials coming after you. And so if you just survive, for all of you who are in Gen X, my hat is off to you. Well, if you were born from the mid-80s on to my son Stephen was born in the, in the early 90s, you're what we call a millennial. And the thing about you, you inherited a world, um, you inherited a, a world full of technology. And beyond that, you inherited a world with no rules, no moral absolutes. So it's a strange kind of world that the millennials are inheriting. And we will see what millennials do with the world that they're inheriting. We'll see how they react to that. But the reason why I'm going off on all this is that you have something rather interesting. Because Joshua now is coming to the end of his generation, and he's facing a whole new generation. And he gives two talks at the end of his life. He gives a talk to everybody who's in the second half. And he gives a talk to everybody who's in the first half. It's kind of interesting. When he gives a talk to the new generation, it's almost as like he becomes young Joshua again. And he speaks to the new generation. But in chapter 23, he's going to call together everybody who's in the second half. So if you're here today, and I'm going to talk to you for just a moment. If you're in your late 30s to the rest of your life, you're in the second half. If you're in your late 30s, you're coming down the tunnel. And you're about to go into the second half of the game. If you're like me, of course, who knows how much time we have left, but... Just on the order of things, if you're like me and you're a baby boomer, chances are you're going into the fourth quarter. Others of us are a little later in the game. But Joshua's got to talk for us. And I want to give it to you real briefly here today, and it all begins in chapter 23. This is the chapter where he gives the talk to everybody in the second half. And there are two words that I love. And if, and if, you're, if you're under 30 here today, these two words are going to be uh, fresh revelation to you. So if you ever go to the Bible and you want a fresh revelation, here's a fresh revelation of the Bible if you're under 30, okay? This is in Joshua 23.1. Years passed. That's what years do. They pass. <laughs> when I was a kid growing up, my dad used to tell me, hey, the older you get, faster time goes. I used to argue with him and tell him, no, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It doesn't matter if you're 9 or 99. A minute, 60 seconds, a year is 365 days. Time goes the same for everybody. You know what? I don't understand the quantum physics of it, but he was right. See, here's the thing. When you're young, it's like life is never going to happen. And again, you have to be really old to understand this illustration. Any of you guys ever ride one of those classic wooden roller coasters? You know, when you're climbing that first hill, it's like you're never going to get to the top. All those perceptible, measurable clanks. And it's like, and you're like on your back thinking, will we ever get to the top before the end of the world? And then you get to the crest of that first hill, and I turn here and I turn there, and next thing you know, you're back at the gate. And that's how life works. When you're young, it's like, will I ever get into school? Will I ever get out of school? 
Will I ever be able to date? Will I ever find somebody? Will I ever get into college? Will I ever get out of college? Will I ever get a job? Will I ever get a better job? I mean, it's like, you climb, you know, and then, and then you have that first kid, and whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And the next thing you know, you're back at the gate. See, I'm 59 years old, and I don't know how it happened. Because it felt like yesterday I was 16 years old and preaching my first conference, and Mary Alice was going along with me. And today I'm 59 years old, and boom, it just happened. And so that's what we read in, in, in Joshua 23, years past. Joshua now has been through all kinds of seasons of his life. He was a boy slave in Egypt. He was Moses' aide de camp as a young man. There was a defining moment when a member of 12 spies who went over into the land and came back and had a minority report and said, I think God is right. There was that moment of choosing that we explored in week chapter one, week one. Then he spent 38 years wandering around in the wilderness waiting for something to happen. And then at that stage of his life, he became the great leader who led Israel into the promised land and he led successful military campaigns. And for the last 40 years of his life, he's been a nation builder as Israel becomes a nation. Years passed. And now Joshua has, and this is the thing I love about Joshua. I talked about this last week. If you, if you think about things in terms of sheer results, Joshua is probably the greatest leader, leader in the nation of Israel. We don't normally think of him in that regard. We think of Moses in that regard. But if you just think in terms of pure results, Joshua is the greatest leader that Israel ever had. But here's where I find a, a, a level of similarity between Joshua and myself, because I too have gotten to experience some great things. There was a sense of ordinariness about Joshua. There was a sense of simplicity about him. And what you're going to discover is Joshua talks to everybody in the second half. He's just got one thought. And as he talks to everybody in the next generation, he's just got one thought. Joshua's a simple man. But for all of us here in the second half of the game, we need to hear Joshua's second thought. This is in chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Joshua's now old. He called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I'm an old man. Look at what he says. You've seen everything God has done. Here is Joshua's message to everybody in the second half. And you'll think about this in contradistinction to what you're going to hear to the young generation. By now, you should have chosen. By now, you should know what your life is about. I don't think I ever see anything sadder than to meet somebody 50 years old who still doesn't know what his life or her life is about. And Joshua's saying you should have chosen by now. You should know what your life is about. And here is his statement. Here is his comment. And by the way, when I stood in this very spot and preached my dad's funeral two years ago, I spoke from this life verse, Joshua 23, 14, where Joshua said, deep in your hearts, you know, every one of his promises have come true. Not one of them has failed. That's a verse that I love. See, that's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me speak to all of you who are in the second half, whether you're in late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. When you're young, <clears throat> you don't know how to fear life. And that's why when you're young, you do bold and crazy things. But as you get a little bit older, you learn that there's some things to fear. And here's the issue with getting older. We can get to be a little bit tentative. We can get tentative in how we risk. We can get tentative in how we approach bold things. We can start looking for a soft place to land, and we can start looking to hedge our bets. And Joshua is afraid that everybody in the second half of their lives is going to get to that place because now they're living the cushy lifestyle of Canaan. And Joshua's wanting everybody to remember one thing. You don't have to fear the second half of your life because God keeps all of his promises. Guys, I'm 59 years old, and I want to tell you something. It's just like Joshua said. There's a reason why I love Joshua 23, 14. Everything God ever promised me has come true. Not one thing has failed. God has never promised me one thing that didn't fail. So if God is underwriting my life, why should I fear bold objectives in the second half of my life? I want, and this is what Joshua wanted for everybody in the second half, I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. 
As I said, I'm going into the fourth quarter of my life. But for all of us who'll watch NFL football today, let me ask you a question. Isn't the fourth quarter where most games are settled? See, the fourth quarter is all about how you've trained and what you're about. And so as we go into the fourth quarter, Joshua wants everybody to know God has kept all of his promises. When you look at Joshua, that's been his story since he was a kid. I don't know how he came about that, but early on in his life, Joshua let that be the thing that settled most of the issues, is that God keeps his word. And now as an old man, he's going by what he learned when he was young. I had the privilege of having dinner with my mother-in-law on Monday of this week. And you know, there are people, especially ministers, who tell mother-in-law jokes. I've never told mother-in-law jokes because I have the greatest mother-in-law in the world. Dad, and she's watching this message, I'm sure. <laughs> but my mother-in-law gets all my messages, so I can't fault a mother-in-law like that. But, but in all seriousness, my mother-in-law's told me something since I was dating Mary Alice. She has said to me many times, when I was carrying Mary Alice in my body, I was praying for you. And it's always amazed me what a great woman of prayer she was and a great woman of faith. So I asked her one time, and I asked her to tell the story again this week, about how she came to have such great confidence in God. She told me the story about how when she was a little girl growing up in the Depression, they were dirt poor living in a little town of Weatherford, Texas, outside of Fort Worth. And one hot day, her mom sent her down, and she, by the way, she didn't come from a family of faith in those days. Her mom sent her down to the store to buy 10 cents worth of bologna for them to have lunch. And she said on the way home on that hot summer Texas day, she began to think about how good mustard would taste with the bologna. And she was saying just to no one in particular, just said out loud, oh, I wish I had some mustard for the bologna sandwich. And she said, the next thing I did, I looked down at the ground and something was glinting. She said it was a nickel. And she said, I went back and bought mustard. And she said, you know, that's where I began my journey with God. And that's how I came to faith. Because I thought, she said, if God cares about a little girl in Weatherford, Texas, who wants mustard on a bologna sandwich, he must care about everything in my life. And out of that... And Stephen's grandmother has been a stroke victim for the last 15 years of her life, and the right side of her body is paralyzed, and yet her body, even though she deals with the challenges, her mind is fresh, and she's still full of faith and still full of confidence that God keeps his word. You know, we talked about Joshua, but there was another member, a founding member of Generation Breakout. I don't think he talks as much as Joshua, but I'll, he's, I'm interested in him. He's, he, in some ways, I think he's a stronger man even than Joshua, and his name is Caleb. And there's an interesting thing that happens in the second half of Caleb's life, and no matter if you're 39 or 99, you need to hear the story of what happens. Because after all the battles of Canaan were fought, and after they basically had done the job, Caleb sent a delegation to Joshua, and he came along with the delegation, and Caleb said, Joshua, it's time for me to get the land that I want. You know, I've got some land. I've, I've earned an inheritance, and, and I'm ready now to claim my inheritance, which, by the way, I'm going to talk about that first Wednesday. If you're able to be here first Wednesday, you're not going to want to miss this. But I want to read it to you. Let me just read it. This is in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6. Caleb said to Joshua, and by the way, notice how that Caleb is about the same thing Joshua is about. God keeps his word. Notice how this is a recurring thing. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God about you and me, when we were at Kadesh Barnea. Remember, that was the place where most people choked at destiny, and Joshua and Caleb found a generation breakout. I was 40 years old when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord your God. 
Now, as you can see, as the Lord has kept, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as He promised, for all these 45 years. Today, I'm 85 years old, and I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me a nice, quiet valley with a rocking chair. Is that what your Bible says? I don't think so. So give me the hill country. Well, every Texan knows that's the best part. No, that's not in the Bible. So, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak there. Those were the giants living in great walled towns. If the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb and gave Hebron to him as his portion of the land. And I love verse 14. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb to this day. And there's a little parenthetical expression that you and I might be inclined to miss, but if we miss it, we're going to miss best part. It just says, previously, Hebron had been called Kiriath Arba. It had been named after Arba, a great hero, the descendants of Anak, who were the giants. <laughs> Caleb said, man, don't, don't give me no rocking chair. I want the hill country. I want the place where the giants. I'm 85 years old, but I'm still dreaming big dreams. I still have bold objectives. I'm not looking for a soft place to sit. I'm looking for a big fight to take on. Because after all, God keeps his promises. And I'm 85 years old, and God has still given me health and strength. I want the mountain I saw when I was 40. I want the place where the giants are. I want the place where the walled cities. I want to take on bold objectives. I want to finish strong. And he did. Yeah, I love that last part because, you see, before Caleb took that town, it was named after the biggest giant there. Afterward, it was called Hebron, which is the oldest city in the Jewish nation. And Hebron means fellowship. Caleb changed the name from the biggest giant there to having a relationship with God. Let me ask you, if you're in the second half of your life, what are you doing to change the story of the place where you are? Are you going to live out your life? And let the story stay the same? Or is the story of the place where you are going to be changed because you were there? Joshua saying to everybody in the second half, finish strong. How do you plan to play second half of the game? You know, one thing my dad was talking about earlier is that this is a story of two sermons. You see, in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, the very end of the book, you have Joshua talking to his generation, generation breakout. But then he gives another farewell sermon. And he gives a farewell sermon to a new generation of middle schoolers, high schoolers, 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And one thing I love about Joshua is when a lot of people give a farewell speech, they kind of use it as a little bit of a bragging platform. They want to talk about all the cool things they did and all the cool accomplishments that they, that they did and all the cool things that they saw. But what I love about Joshua is that Joshua has a different attitude. Joshua decides to look this new generation in the eye, not talk down to them and talk about his accomplishments, but he looks them right in the eye and he says, I care about your future. I care about your faith. And most importantly, I care about you. And because of that, Joshua gives this new generation a challenge, an extremely important challenge, a challenge that will build up this new generation as people if they take it, and a challenge that will tear them down as people if they leave it on the table, a challenge that will give them meaning and purpose in life if they take it and leave them wondering what life is all about if they leave it on, a t on the table. And most importantly, this is a challenge that will give them the destiny God has for them if they take it but we'll snatch that destiny away if they leave it on the table. This is a game-changing, all-important, tattoo-it-on-yourself-somewhere challenge. This is a big deal. It's a big challenge. Do you want to know what it is? You know, one thing that drives me crazy is when, you know, when someone's preaching and they're really building up a point, you're kind of on the edge of your seat and you want to find out what it is. 
and then he kind of goes off and talks about something else for a bit and comes back to it. Drives me crazy. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, so like, may, have you ever like gone to, gone to Starbucks or you're getting ice cream or something and this guy's standing at the counter and he's taking somewhere around two years to decide what latte he's going to get? You're thinking to yourself, Jesus is going to come back before he orders his latte. <laughs> All right? Now, I'm really sorry if you've had that experience. I, I got to say, I never have because I'm always the guy. <laughs> um, I kid you not. I can make choosing something at Starbucks look like choosing a life insurance policy. Uh, and don't even get me started about Netflix. Uh, my amazing wife, Elle, she's here today. She, I'm pretty sure that she thinks my favorite show on Netflix is that screen that comes up when you pick things. Because I'm like a lot of, I'm, I'm like 99% of guys. I've got my Apple TV remote and I'm just scrolling through things. I'm like boring, boring, boring. Oh, so boring, boring. Oh, this looks interesting. Starring Nicolas Cage, never mind, boring. Like, that's, that's what I do for hours and hours. And so, I, I, but I feel like since I'm at church, it's okay to confess something. I, I can be a little bit indecisive about things. I'm not gonna lie. I just kind of have that tendency sometimes. But one thing I've learned in life is it's okay to be indecisive about small things like ice cream or Starbucks or what you're gonna watch on Netflix. But one thing I've discovered is that there's a certain group of things that you gotta have a certain sense of certainty about. You can't be on the fence about it forever. You gotta choose, you gotta pick, you gotta pick one. You gotta go with something and you gotta stick with it. For instance, who you marry, I hope, um, what, what kind of person you're going to be, what your code of ethics are. These are things where you've got to make a decision because it's a defining thing about who you are. And I think that in this group of things where you've got to make a decision, at the very top, at the very top of that group is what you believe. And, and if you want to know what Joshua's challenge to this new generation is, it's simply this. It's just one thing. He challenges them to choose who they believe in, to stick with that choice, and to live lives that reflect that choice. That's a big challenge for my generation, because I tell you what, my generation is bombarded with the idea that even though something inside of us says that what we believe should be at the top of our priority list, our culture says that it should be way, way down here because it doesn't really matter that much anyway. What a lie. I mean, that, that's, what we're, that's what we're told over and over and over again. But deep down inside, I think a lot of people my age, whether you've grown up in church or not, whether, you, whether you've had an experience with God or not, I think something deep down inside of us, when we, when we hear those messages in entertainment over and over and over again that says that what you believe is really just, it doesn't really matter, when we hear that message, I think something inside of us says, but that doesn't make any sense. I really do. And, and I don't think you have to grow up in a, with a religious background to know that. I think that's just something that's built into us. And so there's a, there's a major conflict, a war that's raging inside of my generation where we're trying to decide whether we're really going to choose what we believe or not. We're trying to decide whether it's really that important or not. And that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm here to talk to you today because Joshua's challenge is what breathes new life into a generation and what, and what defeats that lie we get heard, we, we've heard over and over again. And, 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 and I'm here because... My generation needs to hear Joshua's challenge even more than the young generation needed to hear it then. We need to hear it so bad. And, and it's my, my privilege to be up here to talk about Joshua's challenge today. So let's jump right in. Let's take a look at what Joshua had to say in chapter 24. He says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Man, that's a throw down the gauntlet statement if I ever saw it. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. 
That's, that's the big statement right there. I'm going to say it again. Choose today, not two weeks from now, not when it's convenient on your schedule. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But I love this. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. In other words, Joshua is saying this. Choose today who you're going to look to for answers in life to your toughest questions. Choose today who you're going to put your faith and trust in for the rest of your life. Choose today. And, and I just want to zoom in real quick on Joshua's main statement and all of that, where he says, choose today whom you will serve. The rest of this talk, I just want to base it off of that one sentence, because in that sentence is something my generation needs to hear more than anything else. I, and in fact, I'd like to break it down by the word real quick. Let's take a look at that first word, choose. Now, Joshua has had a very long career at this point. He's lived to be over 100 years old. He's like neck and neck with Betty White right now, okay? So he, he has had a very long, illustrious career. But what I think is interesting is at the very end of chapter 24, this is like the last thing that we really see him saying to Israel publicly. The very last message Joshua wants to communicate before he dies is choose. Why is choosing that important? Why is choosing such a big deal? Well, I know what I'm about to say isn't really a newsflash to anybody here, but choosing is hard. Choosing can be difficult. Choosing can be divisive. Choosing can be uncomfortable. And there's something about choosing that really freaks us out because when you choose something, you're eliminating all the other options. And there's something about choosing that where you kind of have a commitment to what you're choosing and you can't go back. That's why it's hard. But have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that even though choosing is hard, it can be difficult and uncomfortable? Isn't there something about choosing that empowers us as people? And, and I'm not just talking about faith. I'm just talking about life in general. Isn't there something about the attitude that says, this is my decision. I'm sticking with it. No one can talk me out of it. This is my choice. Isn't there something about that attitude that just gives you strength to do really cool stuff? You know, but one thing I've noticed is the opposite is true as well. If, in, if you live a life where you're indecisive about important things and you're constantly on the fence, there's something about that that can just suck the strength right out of you. It kind of, because you're, you're living in indecisiveness and when you get to that point, you're just, you're constantly weighing the options and you don't really go one way or another. You know, when I think about this concept, I oftentimes think about some of my favorite sports movies like Rudy, uh, awesome movie, love Rudy, or Miracle, um, or the most inspirational of them all, Cool Runnings. <laughs> and and when, I th when I think about these movies, you know, a lot, why are we drawn to, the, why are we drawn to those stories? Why, why do we love to watch those stories? And, and, and I'll tell you this, a lot of people say, well, it's about underdogs. That's the reason why we like it, because someone had no chance and then they did something awesome. That's why we love those stories. Okay, all right, well, that, 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 that might be one reason, but I think there's a bigger reason why we love those stories. Because the people in those movies, they made a decision and, that, and, and they stuck with that decision and no one could talk them out of that decision and they understood the power of choosing because just that very act of saying, this is what I'm gonna do, no one can talk me out of that, that gave them strength to do extraordinary things that on their own they could not do, we would think. Just that very act of saying, I'm choosing to do this. It might be crazy, people might say I'm, I'm nuts, but I'm, this is my choice. There's something about that that gave those people strength to accomplish extraordinary, extraordinary things. And that's what Joshua wanted for this generation. He wanted them to experience the power of a life of, 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 dis, of choosing, a life of saying, this is what I'm gonna do. No one can talk me out of it. That's what Joshua wanted. He didn't want indecision to suck the life out of this generation. He wanted them to be decisive, decisive people. And when I look at my generation, that's the first message I would communicate to us. Be, 
Make a decision. Choose who you will serve. All right, let's take a look at the next part of that statement. Choose today. Isn't there something about being young that kind of makes you feel invincible? I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people my age are the ones bungee jumping and you know, doing crazy stuff with motorcycles and skateboards. Because I think there's something about being young that just makes you feel like no one can touch you. But here's the deal. I think there's a side effect of feeling invincible, and that is we can get tricked into thinking we have all the time in the world. But how many of you guys my age, how many of you guys have had that situation, or you've had an experience, or you got that phone call that reminded you that we're not as invincible as we think we are? What happens when you get to that place? Who do you turn to when you get to that place? And the reason why Joshua is saying choose today to a new generation is he's saying this. Look, you can't choose yesterday because yesterday is over and done. But you can't choose tomorrow because you don't know if tomorrow's going to happen. Choose today. Oh, man, I would like to communicate, to, that, to communicate that to my generation. I have another thought about this statement, choose today. And that is, I learned something important in English class in high school, which is the fact that if you procrastinate something, there's a chance it might never actually happen. Miss um, Miller, wherever you are, I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, but here's the deal. I think a lot of people in my generation, I think we're curious about God. I, I think we want to know God, but I think there's something inside of us that says, well, since we're invincible, it's okay to kick the can down the, kick the, can down the road because I I'll choose someday. I just don't need it now. But here's the deal. If choosing is what empowers us as people, and if choosing God is what gives us a sense of meaning and purpose in life, why kick the can down the road? You could have a, uh, one thing I would communicate to my generation so much is a lot of us are delaying choosing God. But here's the deal. God could give you so much better of a life if you chose him today. Because if you wait to choose him until a lot of your life is spent, you're missing out on all that time in your life where you could have served God. You could have experienced what he had for you in your life. You could have experienced God's best. Choose him today. Don't let procrastination be the one thing that comes between you and a much better life that could be spent serving God. Choose today. All right, I, I want to move on. Choose today whom. This is the most controversial of all the statements. Choose today whom. You know, when I was a kid, my parents got me involved in sports at the YMCA. Why? Well, that's just what you do when you're a kid in America. You play sports at the YMCA. That's just how it goes. And uh, I understood baseball and soccer for the most part. Like, I kind of got the, the ideas of that. But when I played basketball, I was clueless. And that's kind of weird to be clueless about basketball in Kansas. But I just was. Like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand the position system. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. Um, like, I was constantly spacing out because I was hoping we would play something much more interesting called football. And, um, and, and I got to admit, I was so bad, there was a couple of times where I couldn't figure out which goal we had, and I, like, scored for the wrong team. Have you ever been there? Hey, when you're seven years old, you just, you just, you just sometimes space out, okay? That's just what happens. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, no matter how bad I was, the YMCA made me feel great because I walked out of there with a participation medal. There's something about walking out there with that medal. You're like, you know what? I might have sucked, but at least I got my medal, okay? Um, because at the YMCA, it didn't matter whether you won or lost. It just mattered how you played the game. That's how the Y works. I mean, Perry Ellis and Fred Van Fleet could have been playing against my team and absolutely annihilate us, and everybody would walk home with the same medal. That's just the way it works. Do you want to know why my generation has such a hard time choosing what we believe? I think it's simple. I mean, I don't have time to go into a history lesson, but our world has suffered so much from conflict between religions and schools of philosophy that I think our world has taken a YMCA approach to faith. 
It doesn't matter who's right or wrong anymore. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. It's just all about playing the game and getting along in every faith, every religion, every philosophy walks home with a participation medal. That's it. That's the reason why my generation has such a hard time choosing. But here's my problem with that. Someday, everyone in my generation, including me, we're gonna die. And if I have to watch a Hallmark movie sometime soon, my time is coming sooner than I think. <laughs> and, and, and here's the deal, when we die, there's a curtain that you pass beyond when you die that no, nobody here, I guarantee you, nobody here has seen behind the curtain of death. It's something that we have not seen yet. So when you pass beyond that curtain, you gotta be trusting 100% in something. If you're a Buddhist, you gotta be trusting that you've reached nirvana. If you're a Hindu, you gotta be trusting in reincarnation. If you're a Muslim, you gotta be trusting that you've maintained the five pillars of your face to near perfection and your righteous deeds will slightly outweigh your unrighteous deeds on the day of judgment. And if you're an atheist, you gotta to have 100% faith, 100% faith in the idea that there is no God and no heaven and no hell. A lot of times atheists will tell me I, that they don't have faith. Yes, you do. The fact that you 100% believe that there is no God is an act of faith already when, when you step beyond that curtain that no one has seen behind. And if you're a Christian, you're trusting 100% in the fact that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is and that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's what you're trusting in. But I don't know about you, I don't wanna be trusting in something that has no more backing to it than a participation trophy. I wanna know the fundamental question that my generation has been told to ignore. Who's right? Who's right? That's what I wanna know. I, I, I don't, I don't wanna know about all this getting along stuff. I just wanna know who's right. That's, that's the big question. And the reason why, Josh, and one thing I didn't get to is earlier on in Joshua's speech to this new generation, he reminds them of all the cool stuff that God had done for, for his generation. And then later on, he says, choose today whom you will serve. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Joshua's message is this. Joshua's generation, they saw Pharaoh get hit with plagues by God. God freed them from slavery. God opened up a Red Sea so they could escape and crashed it into their enemies behind them. And God led them back into a land that he had promised them for 400 years. Now, when you witness all of that firsthand, I guarantee you, you don't have a hard time figuring out who's God and who's not. But this new generation that Joshua is talking to, they weren't born yet when that happened. And on top of that, they're living in a nation right now that's surrounded by other nations with completely different beliefs than theirs. Polytheistic beliefs that have completely different ideas. That's where this new generation is at. But what I love about Joshua is that Joshua has a forward-thinking mind and Joshua understands that over time, this generation might be tempted to forget about all the things God had done for their parents. And also, they might start to question, what's really different about what we believe from what all these other nations around us believe? But here's the cool thing. Joshua wanted to remind this generation that there was only one God who had the power to free their parents from slavery. There was only one God who had the power to open up a Red Sea and crash it into their enemies behind them. There was only one God who had the power to defeat armies of thousands of people so, so they could come home. And it was the one true God. And no idol and no religion could ever do that. And my generation, we're, in the, we're, we're at a fork in the road because we got a lot of ideas and a lot of beliefs out there about who God is or isn't. And, and we're living in a world that's trying to pound it into our head that they're all equal. Well, here's what I got to say to that. No matter how many participation trophies this world hands out, there's only one religious leader, if you can call him a religious leader, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see, who walked on water and walked out of his own grave. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And one thing, one thing about Jesus is he loves you so much. He loves you so much. No matter what generation you're in today, he loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. Tell me who's even in that zip code. And let's look at the full statement real quick. Choose today whom you will serve. One thing I think is cool about this generation, they listened. In this chapter, we find out that they not only listened to Joshua, but they lived out what, what, what they chose. They chose God that day. They listened to Joshua's words, and they were a successful breakout generation just like their parents. But now the ball's in your court. Now the ball's in your court. It was, there, it was back thousands of years ago, this new generation had to ponder what Joshua said. Today, it's, it's, it's my generation. It's time for us to ponder what Joshua said. You know, maybe you've walked in today and you're saying, Stephen, I really, I really want to know God. Like, I, I've gone on a search. I'm, I'm really confused about what to choose or what to believe in. But it's not that I haven't searched. I'm looking. I want to know. I want to know God. If that's you today, you know, one thing that stands out to me is preparing for this talk. I did a lot of research about other religions in the world. And one thing that stood out to me time and time again is in religion after religion, it stood out to me how distant and cold God was in all these religions over and over and over again. And, and in these religions, you had to do one thing after thing after thing after thing just to get God's attention, much less get his favor. But what I love about the Bible is that in the Bible, you get a different story of a God who loves you, a God who knows your name and cares about you. And today we've been talking about choosing. That's been the theme of, of my talk to my generation. And one thing I think is so cool is there was a time, I, my, my imagination runs away with me, but there was a time in heaven where Jesus had two options on the table because the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that the only thing that could save us was God stepping down as a human being and paying for our sin. And there was a moment in, in heaven where Jesus had to choose between two options, letting us pay for our own sin or paying for it himself. And Jesus knew that if he paid for our sins himself, he would have a crown of thorns beaten into his skull. He would, he would have to carry his own cross. He would have nails driven into his hands and feet. He'd be whipped with lashes with glass on them. He knew that. But when confronted with that choice about, what, about making us pay for our own sin or paying for it himself, he chose you. He chose you. And the question on my mind today is, even in a world full of beliefs and a world full of ideas about God, will you choose him? No, ma no matter what generation you're in, no matter what group you're in, will you choose him? Well, that's the question, isn't it? And for today, as we close out the talk, maybe like Stephen said, we've all been taught to just sort of kick the can down the road and everything's morally equivalent. We all heard what happened this week in Oregon. And the report as it is right now is that there were kids who were told to stand up by the shooter and they were asked to, to declare their religion. And those who said they were Christian, according to the report right now, they were shot in the head, killed, and the others were wounded. You know, when the first kid said, I was a, I'm a Christian, I don't know that he or she knew what was gonna happen, but the second person did, and the third person. And as tragic as it was, it reminded me there are some breakouts in our world today who are not afraid to choose. And I would hope that you and I would have that kind of courage at that moment. But today, there's no kick in the can down the road. It's up to you to choose. And if you haven't made that choice, I want to pray a prayer with you right now. And you can just pray it with, with me. If you decide you want to choose Jesus, Stephen just preached. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. 
but I believe you love me. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I believe your blood paid for my sin. You chose me. I choose you. I choose you to be my Savior and King. In Jesus' name, amen. Ain't overcrowded. But I have a gift I want to give you. If you just prayed to receive Jesus, out in the lobby, there's a place called Guest Services. A little one back by the coffee shop. And all you got to do is just say, I pray, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you or bother you. They just want to give you a packet with a DVD and a book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions on a coupon for a new Bible. Next week, we'll close out the series. Thanks to my son, Stephen, for joining me on stage today. God bless you. Thank you.